in a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. For those who've been trying to follow our Family Gap Year adventures, I'm sorry. <laughs> We've really embraced being off-grid more often, less creation, and more practice in coming down from one epic journey. At the time of the recording this, we're just coming off of a week-long stay in Big Bend National Park, which is in far west Texas. I'm surprised actually how many people haven't heard of Big Bend, so go take a look at that. It's absolutely fantastic, and I will likely have to share more either in my newsletter or on social media here in the future. But we are eager to hit the ski slopes, and this is the latest I think we've ever been without skiing, so we're eager to jump on that. This last loop has also included a lot of meetups with family and friends along the Deep South, along with work and life just picking up as we embrace what it means to go home. Of course, in true RV fashion, this loop has not been unscathed from RV fixes, and we are fielding more and more inquiries about RV life. One area that comes up are the technical aspects of RV ownership. So in our transition to RV life, I don't know that I've ever shared. My husband went from being a high school tech ed teacher to becoming a certified RV technician. And if you're looking for resources as it relates to owning an RV, buying an RV, my husband Brent is a handy resource to have. And one of the calls to action today is that he has a downloadable RV inspection form, which I'll link in the show notes. That's a really helpful guide for buying or maintaining your RV just to know on a regular basis what needs to be on par. So he has been our in-house technician, which has been absolutely fantastic, but he's also a resource for the community. So if you need something that is, again, in the show notes. Related to that, I met our guest through an RV Entrepreneur podcast and later met him in person at the RV Entrepreneur Roundtable. He is a full-time RVer, a proud father and husband, and a total RV junkie. He's the master of practical tips and unique perspectives while RVing, from awesome gear reviews to exciting DIY projects and lots of tips in between. We'll talk through his own RV journey, the process of making RV decisions and establishing an RV lifestyle with a family, even if it's just for weekend adventures. He's a very skilled storyteller, a gear guru, and the master at creating community and organizing in-person events, as evidenced by his recent RV content creators meetup at the Tampa RV Show. I am so excited to have this conversation, Joshua. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Thank you, Heidi. I'm excited to be here. Been listening for a long time and having you come out to Colorado and meeting in person is uh, was fantastic. And I'm excited that one day we're going to get our families together and, and, and have everybody meet up in person. Yes. But for now, we're going to have to make do with talking on the microphones. Yeah, right. I know you and I, I feel like we're like really good friends because <laughs> we've talked so much over the years, but I realize you hadn't been on the show. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Let's, uh, Let's give people, though, an introduction to you, your family, and your brand a little bit. So tell me a little bit about what kind of got you into RV life or what was maybe the motivator for you and your family. Hmm. So I was thinking about this the other week and like where RV life, the concept of it started for us. And I guess if nothing else, then subconsciously, it started 
right before my wife and I met and I got married. My degree is in outdoor recreation, and I actually went out to Mountain Home Air Force Base in Idaho and was an intern in their outdoor rec program. And the housing that they provided for me was an RV, the military RV park there. They just had one of the RVs that they rent out that they sequestered to use for the interns. And so I spent six months living in an RV. Looking back on it, like I never emptied a black tank. I didn't do anything with water. Like, I don't know how they must have piped it or something. I just totally ignorant to the entire process, but I lived in an RV for six months. And then my wife is military or was military. So we moved around for the next 13 years. And at some point we decided that I grew up in Illinois. She grew up in Washington state. We'd been enough places with the military to know, like, we don't know enough to choose a home base. Mm. So when she retired, we decided we have twin boys who were eight at the time that we would just go on a big road trip and try and explore the U.S., see what there was to see, and also have a secondary goal of choosing a place to put down roots and have a home base. It's kind of morphed into the goal of finding a location to put down roots and have a home base to then sometime. I don't think full-timing, which is what we've done for the past two years, was ever the end goal or the long-term goal. It was more a means to an end of finding a home base and then also having a jumping off point of being able to structure our lives in a way that we could fund our travels, teach our kids, but also if we wanted to go in the middle of a Tuesday, October, and then leave for three weeks, that we could do so. And so that's the end goal right now is kind of finding a location and looking for a place to set up a home base, kind of have that rooted community, but then also keep our life structured in a way that we could leave for two or three weeks or a couple months at a time, go out, explore. Because as much as we traveled for two years and have continued to travel, we didn't see barely anything looking back on how many places that we went and how long we've been traveling, there's so many places that are still on our wish list and we want to get around to. And so, yeah, we've been traveling the past two years. My wife, Coley, and I are, are twin boys who will be 10 next month and our dog in a 35-foot travel trailer. I guess we started out in a pop-up camper because that was what our minivan could tow. Wow. At the point, we were living in Louisiana. And so as much as Coley is very outdoorsy and she likes being outside, she doesn't necessarily like living outside. My gateway of getting everybody into this was having a real bed to sleep in and air conditioning in Louisiana. So we had a minivan, a pop-up camper could, a minivan could tow this small pop-up camper and it had two real beds and air conditioning. And so we had, we ended up having two pop-up campers before we ended up getting our current travel trailer. I heard somebody say that, you know, pop-up campers are kind of a gateway drug. They get you in with what you got and then they kind of hook you on, on RV life. And I could definitely see that being the case of you get a little taste of what it could be. And then with RVing, there's a lot of weights and numbers involved. You know, pop-up campers are small and a lot of things can tow them. And so that it really is a low cost gateway into RVing because we, we stowed it in our garage. We didn't have to pay for storage or anything. We didn't have to buy a new tow vehicle. And it was fun. Mm-hmm. We had to go out. We got to do that. And then you know, everybody woke up well-rested and cool. Yeah. We were not sitting there sweating all night, sleeping in, in Louisiana. That's how we got into RV life. And then we decided we were going to do this uh, full-time stuff after Coley retired. And we left two years ago and have been going all over ever since. I didn't know that you your gateway was the pop-up. Ours was too, actually, a 1994 and I remember um, we had been tent campers all my life. Uh-huh. And my husband and I were like, no, we're like outdoorsy. We're tent campers. There was like a pride factor in roughing it with three kids and a dog. And then there wasn't, <laughs> right? There was that point of like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? And we rented our first pop-up and it was like a luxury vacation <laughs> for us. So right? 
Yeah, I would agree. You know, it's a great, I love that gateway drug into into RV life. And I actually, I should confess, there's quite a few followers or listeners of Ordinary Sherpa now that have told me within the last three, four months that they are either bought one or taking their first RV trip. Nice. So it's kind of interesting that you hear things and you're like, oh, I'd be curious more, you know, to see that more. I wouldn't have said 10 years ago that we would be an RV family. In fact, I kind of was against it. It is interesting that there's the stigma in the outdoor recreation community. Like, you know, I've been backpacking for three weeks at a time in Utah doing, grew up doing canoe trips in Northern Wisconsin and Minnesota and going up into Canada. And there's this stigma of like, oh, RVers are not really campers. And that can be true, right? Like there's definitely some that are apartments on wheels that never see 10 feet off the pavement. But at the same time, I think it's also, we have to try and not put ourselves into boxes so much because being RVers has gotten us closer to places to then go jump off and explore than we would have otherwise because mm-hmm. we can get closer to the trailhead so that that hike is actually achievable for our family versus having to come from an Airbnb somewhere, take a flight, like all these different things. We're able to bring the home closer to the activity. And I think we got to figure out a way to get just everyone around that stigma yeah. of our veers are not real campers because there's right. it's all it's all spectrum it's all blend and i think that there's a lot of value in being able to to roll up to some random blm land in utah and have a place to cook dinner go to the bathroom and get some fresh water and then go out and explore right well and ironically so living in the rv this year we have spent more time outside than i think we've ever spent in our entire lives because it's forced us, you know, like we're living in a smaller space. So I, I think it's actually almost counterintuitive to say like, you know, this, the stigma of being an RVer is not like real camping. I actually think it's, it's pushed us the opposite direction. Now, because we live in an RV, we actually appreciate the outdoors. We're spending more time outdoors. We aren't like choosing between outdoors and luxury accommodations. <laughs> we're like right. living in the outdoors. So I would agree. Like it's. Well, and I wonder how many of those critics only camp in the summer. Mm-hmm. Like you guys took your RV into the snow. Yeah. You went skiing. We're going for round two, too. <laughs> so there's quite a few folks that don't camp in the snow. Yeah. And if an RV is a way to get you out, out into the snow, like why not? It's interesting that you brought up the winter camping because that I think has been one of the highlights. Like when we started off on our adventure, it was like, okay, what haven't we done yet? Right. To go to you back to your point of like all these places, there's so many places to go and see. And we're traveling extremely fast and have visited. 35 states to date since January. And we still, which is insane, right? <laughs> I love that you're laughing. Insane. You are, that is crazy fast. Yes. See, we started off, we had this idea, we're just going to go for 12 months and we're going to find a, a place and settle down. It's just going to be a 12 month road trip, right? And then we started thinking about it. Like if, if we do all 48 lower states and there's 52 weeks in a year, there's no way we could even explore Delaware in one week, much less Texas or California. Yeah, we clearly aren't doing as much as I wanted to say we were doing slow travel. We are not slow traveling. We aspire to be slow travelers. We're traveling differently. You know, we try to find places that we've never been to before that are like outside the tourist attractions. So there is that. And we do get immersed and, you know, connect with locals often. That's like how we travel, but not slow. So even at that, you know, if you put it together, when you start doing the math, like you just said, 48 states. Is 48 weeks. There's no way you can really mm-hmm. 
when you said yeah. something about, you know, like camping year round, I, we joke, we had to flip the mindset too, because most people that I knew that owned RVs were either retired or they were seasonal, meaning they were parked in a park for a season. Neither mm-hmm. of those things fit us, right? Like we aren't old. <laughs> And we aren't stationary. So we had to flip the mantra of being like RVers to this is our vacation home on wheels. Like we just get to take it with us wherever we choose to travel. And for whatever reason, that seemed to help me get out of this RVers are plush or RVers are, you know, like all those different like perspectives on is RVing good or, you know, where does it fall on the spectrum? So it's kind of interesting. It is interesting because you can spend $5,000 on a really good teardrop camper up to couple million dollars on a, a class A motorhome. And there's, I think everyone based off of their prior experiences has an image that comes to mind when they, when someone says RVing and your experiences and that image dictate your opinion on what they're talking about, even though it may not be what they're intending, right? right? Like, so somebody who's going to Arizona for six months out of the year, they put their rig in a spot and then they like live out of it as a house. It's totally different than what you guys are doing of traveling around going and skiing and then up to Alaska. It's just, it's totally different mindset, even though it's all technically RVing. Thank you for that. Because I think when someone says we want to start RVing, right? I get this question a lot. Like, where do you start? I've never RVed before. Where do I start? And there's various answers to this. It's always like, well, where do you want to start? What are some of the questions I guess you would ask if someone says, where do you start? I want. I think we want to take our first RV trip or whatever. What are some of the questions you would ask? I'd, I'd be curious. Hmm. I would ask, what is your goal? Why RVing? Why not just go do a road trip, stay in a hotel or Airbnbs, and then go to the national parks? Like, why do you want to RV? And then if if it turns out that RVing is like part of the adventure, like the traveling method of using an RV, whether towing it or driving it, then I think some of the logistics are like, how many people do you need to seat? Because if you've got four kids and two adults, you might be able to find a truck and trailer that fits you, but you also might have to find a truck or a motorhome to to drive and then have a tag car Mm -hmm. to be able to carry people because seats get eaten up real fast. And then, you know, I I guess it just depends on how far you want to go because a pop-up camper is awesome. I don't know if I would want to do a pop-up camper from Florida to Washington state, like unless I upgraded some things, like that's a lot of mileage for those tires and those, those axles. It's totally possible people do it. But it's different traveling cross country in something that you have to set up yeah. every day versus being able to roll into a campsite at 9 p.m., open the door and go to bed. So I think probably just a lot of the logistics, the logistics of like, how much do you want to spend? What do you already have available to you? Do you have a truck or do you just have a Honda Civic? How many people you have? Where you want to go? Because if you want to go in the back country, you might choose a different rig. Yeah than if you're just going to stay at RV parks and then travel out. I think there's a lot of value in you know having something, like intentionally treating something as a home base and then having a, a vehicle that can take you out and explore. Like the Class A's that are towing a Jeep Wrangler, like they've got a lot of capability because they can just drop one or the other and go, go places, go explore stuff, and then come home and have everything plugged in. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your questions, but there'd be a lot of logistical questions I would ask. And then just having met so many people over the past two years, both in campgrounds, but then also online and content creators and just hearing how other people got into the space, I'd have different perspectives on what I would recommend. And it's also, I don't know, you can probably verify this as well. I don't know if I've ever met 
any RVer that has only ever had one RV. It's not something that most people end up choosing their final RV the first time. Although that's that would be an awesome goal. I don't know that I've met really anybody who's who's had that experience. So it's kind of a trial and error thing. I will note that renting an RV sounds like an awesome idea. I would encourage you if you're going to rent an RV, do it for like more than two weeks mm. because there's a lot of ramp up and ramp down time with getting into the RV, especially if it's not yours, right? Like all of the little things you don't think about, cutting boards, coffee makers, paper towels, all that stuff that you're going to have to figure out, load up, get in there. Then you're going to have to learn how to use the RV, all the electrical systems, water systems. And it's not difficult. It just takes time and familiarity, Mm -hmm. like being around it. And so I feel like a lot of people will rent an RV for five days and go to Disney World. Well, there's a lot of the the learning curve is steep to be able to take that and go explore somewhere. Even somewhere as connected as going to Florida and staying in an RV park. Mm -hmm. There's just so much to learn about the RV itself that you spend so much time in such a short duration learning about the the mode of transportation versus actually using it to get where you want to go. If you're going to rent an RV, I would suggest going for more than more than two weeks. Otherwise, I feel like you're going to have an overwhelming experience Mm -hmm. because there's just things to figure out. Not difficult, but just so many that it may not be worth it. The checklist is long. We did start, we had the pop-up, and then we rented a Class C, a couple Class C's, and we thought we were going to buy a Class C. But it's interesting, like, the criteria, to go back to your point of, like, what questions to ask, like, how is this actually comfortable, right? Or like, what are the things that are going to be, this is silly. And when I say this out loud, it sounds ridiculous. But one of the crazy criteria that we had established was we need at least six cup holders. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but when we are traveling down the road in our class A, the number of things that are moving around, like the cup holder holds a lot of things. So we determined like a minimum of six cup holders. But you wouldn't have gotten there had we not done the drivable or had we... Did you come across a bunch that did not have six? Yeah. A lot of them didn't have cup holders in the table. So like usually where the drivers were, there was at least two, sometimes four. And a lot of times there wasn't some in the table. And the sink and the table cup holders become like storage during travels. All your stuff doesn't move around. And then we have two behind the couch. So we actually have eight. But it was just kind of funny that those became pain points, right? It's like the littlest things sometimes can become exasperated. I'd be curious, was there anything when you went from pop-up to travel trailer that were like, these are the little things or the game changers that we really are thinking about? Yeah, there definitely were. Kind of to junk back to your cup holders thing, a solution, you could get clamp on cup holders. Ah. Like if your table doesn't have cup holders, something that clamps over the top, you could have, and then it'd be movable too. And this Um, is why you need to follow Josh, by the way. (laughs) We'll get there. Well, I think the difference going into buying the current rig that we have, we knew that we were going to be full-time in it. So Mm -hmm. there were a few other criteria that we needed over what we were using the pop-up for of going for weekend excursions. We knew that we wanted separate rooms, quote unquote. You can't hear, you can't see me on the audio. (laughs) Uh, We wanted separate rooms. And so the boys' bunk room has a pocket door that actually closes, which allows us to be in the main living space after they go to bed. There was quite a few rigs that would fit everything else we needed except the bunks were open to the space. And so we decided that we wanted a closable door for their bedroom. And we also wanted a closable door on the master bedroom, be able to give Coley and I some alone time and space where we didn't have just a curtain between us and the rest of the camper. So those were the two big 
driving criteria for the floor plan that we chose. And it was kind of, we went to a show, we looked around at different floor plans. We went to a dealership, walked through there. You know, it ends up being that there's not many differences between brands. Really just got to choose a floor plan and decide what you want to do. So we found a floor plan we liked, and then we just scoured Facebook Marketplace and found one that had been used, and I think it was maybe six times. The guy thought his family was going to use it more than they were, and they ended up just going out with their aunt and uncle who had a class A, and they just camped next to them. So we got a really good deal on it used. But yeah, I think that the closable doors were the big driving factor for our floor plan. And we do have one of the larger outdoor kitchens. So it's not like underneath a bunk. Our bunk room only has three bunks. And so that fourth bunk spot is our outdoor kitchen, which we use all the time, absolutely all the time. And we've had that conversation too, you know, like is an outdoor kitchen essential? And I think the conclusion that Coley and I have come to is that it depends on what you're doing, right? Like if we had a bigger fifth wheel with a huge indoor kitchen, We might not use the outdoor kitchen as much, but since the kitchen inside of the travel trailer is on the smaller side, we end up cooking outside. So I don't, I don't know if there is a a solid answer to would a outdoor kitchen be a deal breaker for us, but we do end up using it a lot, which contrary to other opinions I've heard, some people never use their outdoor kitchen. So you're going back and you said, what questions would you ask? I would ask a bunch of questions and I would give a bunch of opinions, but at the end of the day, they would be my opinions, my experiences, and my preferences. And so to everyone listening, if you're talking to someone who is an RVer and they're super strongly opinionated about one thing or the other, take it for what it is. It's their perspective and their opinion because something that's super important to me, you may never even have the wildest intention of using. And that's cool and overwhelming because features built into RVs that someone may never even have a desire to use. Thank you for that. Cause that is very, very common in the RV, like, especially with like full-time families and stuff like that. The recommendation was get a fifth wheel. And we were like, I don't think that fits us. Like we, we go a lot, right? Mm -hmm. We, we like the option to enjoy the ride and not be crammed into the truck if we have to. So anyway, we but we've now maybe changed our opinion about that. Like if we were going to continue going, having a nice kitchen would be really helpful for us to stay on the road longer or to stay in places longer and have like nicer meals. I have a little pain point with RV kitchens and ovens. What about them? Well, they're just so my husband has become a certified RV technician. And I've complained, I don't know how long, because they're small enough, like they're small enough that it's really hard to fit a lot of our pans in there. We ended up buying special pans to fit into our oven. And then I learned, and everything burns. And so then I learned that in his certification, he learned that you can have a 50 degree variance, plus or minus the actual temperature and it'll pass inspection. So you could have a hundred degree variance. And I'm like, that's a lot when baking, right? Like that's not, I wouldn't assume when I follow a recipe, like, oh, it could be a hundred degrees less or more right? or 50 degrees less or more. Like so what you're saying is we need digital thermometers to, we need to, to, to know what the actual, thermo- yeah, what the actual temperature is. Huh. So that was one. I thought the refrigerator and freezer space would be a deal breaker for me. It's actually turned out to be a great lesson for me. And what do we actually need this week? And not overbuying. I'm used to having a freezer in the basement at our house. So I could just like stock the freezer full of stuff. Well, we don't have that now. So 
it's forcing me to go back to the grocery store every week, which is Mm -hmm. also encouraging me then to buy fresh produce. So that's good. And I don't overbuy because we just don't have a ton of space, at least in the refrigerator and freezer, to stock up on things. But yeah, it's been kind of an interesting discovery of what we actually need versus what we thought we needed. Have you put a heat to stone in your oven? We tried. (laughs) Okay. We bought a... I'm trying to think about the stone. I feel like the issue with the stone then became storage afterwards. So I feel like that was one of the things that we chose not to bring along. But then my husband also found a cast iron pan, like a flat pan that you could put in. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But the handles were too wide, so it wouldn't fit in the oven. So we still use it to cook on, usually like on our grill for stuff, but it doesn't fit in the oven the way we had initially intended. Have Brent cut those handles off. I know. I told them no. I was like, no, you're going to wreck it. So we ended up putting a pizza stone in ours that fit and we just, it lives there. But that significantly helped in the baking of the oven of having, because you just have that single burner and a piece of tin above it. There's like, we, we would put pizza in and we get a black spot right down the center of the pizza. So we put this pizza stone in there and we leave it in there for everything, whether we're cooking a casserole. And we actually use our oven a lot. That's another thing. Some people are like, I don't know why manufacturers even include ovens. And there's people who never, ever use their oven. And a lot of people actually take them out. We use ours quite a bit, yeah. casseroles or pizza, we lots of brownies things. and cookies all Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that pizza stone has definitely been something that's helped get us get a more even dispersion of heat. But we've also cooked pizzas on our Blackstone. We got one of those air pans and just cooked the pizza outside on the Blackstone. Yes, you have an oven in your RV. It is not the same as conventional oven in your home. And I think where people get disappointed is where they, they think, oh, I've got an oven. I can cook a turkey. No, <laughs> you can't really cook a turkey. Not it's, well. it's not quite the same. Um, so I think having realistic expectations of what you're trying to accomplish will help you lead to better choices of, one, choosing what you're going to attempt to make in thinking that you're actually going to accomplish it versus having a challenge before you. Mm-hmm. And then just you know choosing which equipment is important to you. Yeah. When we were looking for our second pop-up, my criteria were quite a bit different than the first one, right? Like the first time I wanted all the stuff. And the second time I was like, if someone's removed the sink, that's actually not too big of a deal in a pop-up camper for me. Like we didn't use the indoor sink as much as we thought we would. I found a solution and came up with a way to have an outdoor sink for washing hands. But I never would have gotten to that point had I not told myself I needed this, had it, and then used it. And I was like, oh, this actually didn't work out as well as I thought it would mm-hmm. because it's not the same as a, uh, a sink in your house. Yeah. It's interesting when a lot of people will come to Brent and ask questions just with like buying an RV and stuff like that. And it's always interesting what they're focused on, right? Well, it's fully equipped for solar. Okay. That's great. Like, are you going to be parked in places where solar is even an option or like we're equipped for solar and we have used it maybe twice? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's just not, it's interesting how you use it and what your priorities are it actually you're fully equipped for solar but you're in arizona in july like you're probably running a generator for air conditioning anyway like your solar's if you're asking this question your solar's not capable of running your conditioners that much yeah fascinating so you've already alluded to this in several of your responses and i want to reveal your superpower because i follow your channel my husband follows your channel we're always like did you see that tip that joshua just put out okay and the one most recently that i was like mind blown is 
it has nothing to do with RVing, but it has to do with like simple hacks to make your life easier. So when you're doing laundry, a whole roll of quarters fits in a prescription bottle. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, we've been hauling around this silly Ziploc bag. It's always it's always opening up or busting. And I was like, yeah. So Josh is the master of like RV hacks and just like knowing gear that will make your life easier. And I know this is a loaded question, but brainstorm with me. Some of your, not even like favorite hacks, but some of the gear that you've used that was actually more meaningful than you thought it was going to be. I think oftentimes it's easy to get into the mindset of everything in our RV has to be a multitasker. That they have to do more than one thing or they don't warrant the space. And I think over my progression of being an RV owner, I've gotten to both extremes of that. I think there's not so much of a middle road for me anymore. It's it's either a multitasker and I can use it for multiple things and that's obvious, or it's a unitasker and it does that one job really, really well. And the, what I'm thinking of here is there's the leveling blocks, mm-hmm. you know, the Legos that stack the yellow, orange, red. Those are super handy and I don't know that I'll ever RV without them, but I don't use them much for leveling my RV. I use them for the stabilizers or for jacking things up. When we had a blow on the truck, I was able to use that to put the bottle jack. Like They're super handy because they hold a lot of weight. They're inexpensive. They're just they're super universal and I love them. Definitely need them. But for leveling 90% of the time on our travel trailer, I use ramp levelers. And so it's a wedge. It looks like almost mm-hmm. like a wedge shoe, but it's curved. And you can roll up onto it and you just roll to wherever you need to be to be level. And then you stop and then you put the other end of the chalk in. And you've got incremental leveling and they're super awesome, but I can't use those for anything but that. And so I think I've kind of gotten to the point of having a unitasker is okay, as long as the task that it provides is valuable enough to take up the space. So I guess along, I'm not as into levelers as this is going to sound, (laughs) Um, but we did just have a blowout on the RV and the axle was too low for me to put my bottle jack underneath the axle with the tire flat. And they sell ramps that you can drive up the second axle onto and it'll lift that first axle high enough that you could change the tire, but they're huge and they're bulky. I was able to take those ramp levelers and put it and do the same thing and get just enough clearance to then put the bottle jack under, change the tire that way. Unitaskers are fine as long as they excel at the task that they are chosen to do. But multitaskers also have their place in being universal because space is limited. Weight is limited. And I guess that's a big thing that I see with beginner RVers is they don't take enough time to educate themselves and realize the difference between like your gross vehicle weight rating and your payload on your vehicle. The truck salesman and the RV salesman will tell you half truths, right? Like they're gray areas. So yes, your F-150 could technically tow this vehicle if you put nothing else in it and you wanted to white knuckle down the road. But as soon as you add people to the truck or gear to the RV or propane or like, I think payload on the vehicle is a big thing that people overlook, being able to calculate that because it's different than towing capacity. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, when I've run the numbers on different rigs and different setups, you max out the payload capacity of the tow vehicle before you get to the towing capacity. For example, these are round numbers that I just made up in my head. So don't anybody get upset when they're not accurate. Mm -hmm. Say an F-150 has a payload capacity of 1,200 pounds, so 1,200 pounds, but it can tow 12,000 pounds. Well, more likely than not, once you put your gear in the back of the bed, the people in the truck, and then you hook up the hitch itself, 
then you add in the weight of the trailer on top of that, like you're going to max out that 1200 pounds of payload before you even get to towing a 12,000 pound trailer. And there's a big difference between towing a flatbed trailer loaded with cinder blocks versus a 25 foot RV that's eight feet tall, eight feet wide and 25 feet, like it's a big sail. It tows totally different, even though it may weigh less. Going back to your question prior, I think that's a big one is knowing what you can and cannot tow based off of the numbers. And also it's hard to find a way to test it out. But with this current rig, we actually had a half ton truck with a max payload package and by the numbers, it's good to go. I towed it twice and I said, there's absolutely no way that I'm taking my family across the country with this vehicle. Like it was the tail wagging the dog. We upgraded to a three quarter ton gas truck and it is night and day difference. The trailer does not push us around. It does not have to feel like, you know, one semi going by is going to push us over Mm. into the shoulder. But by the numbers, that half ton truck could tow that vehicle. But practically, I just was not comfortable with it. Yeah. And there's, when you go back to like preferences, I've heard different things so that we tow um, our minivan and there's theories that you don't need a braking system on your tow dolly. And we're like, um, yes, you do. <laughs> In a pinch, if we've had issues, we have occasionally turned off the brakes. Just be- like when we had the trailer fire, we had to turn off the brakes so we could get down the hill and change everything out. But I've driven it once without the brakes on. And I was like, there's no way, to your point, the amount of pressure just braking in general with an RV. And then when you add, like, if ever you're coming downhill and you've got like a a trailer behind. It's like they're pushing you downhill, right? Like so you absolutely right. need brakes on your trailer, whatever that is. But there are different theories on that too. I think some people are willing to risk it. Even though I'm pretty high tolerance for risk, that's not something I am willing to risk. So I appreciate you bringing that up because it's yeah. I think it's something people don't really know either. Well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, I can put a fifth wheel hitch into a Honda Ridgeline, which is like below a subcompact truck. <laughs> I can put a fifth wheel hitch there. It doesn't mean that I should connect anything to it. <laughs> like that would be a bad day. Yes. yes. Good theory. How about, so you've also done a lot of uh, like product research though. So there were two examples I wanted to share. One of them is just like digesters and how do you break stuff mm-hmm. down in your black tank? And that was really interesting because you gave a visual representation. I'm just kind of curious, where does some of the motivation come from? Is this just things you've learned or things you're curious about? Like, how do you how do you get to that point? And what are yeah. some of the things you've learned just in your own product journey of, you know, what you can trust, what you can't trust? Are there brands you lean towards? I'm just kind of curious how you approach things of that nature. So I think it is a lot of personal curiosity. You know, I started posting things to YouTube because I was curious about the answers. You know, like, what happens if I put spray foam into a garden tractor tire? Like, what happens? And so when we were getting more into RVing and getting ready to leave, like, more of my curiosities revolved around RVing. I've always wondered, you know, there's fan favorites for everything. And I was like, how is one fan favorite black tank treatment different than another? And I was like... There's a lot of tests that'll be like 15 minutes or two hours. They'll put them in there and they'll see what they look like after that amount of time. I was like, I haven't seen anybody do a test in a week. Like what happens when we do something for a week? But then also on that specific gear comparison, a lot of the tests that I had researched online, they didn't continue to add things. So black tank specifically, like we don't, we don't use the tank and then not touch it for a week and then dump it, right? Like it's continually being added to. And so that plays into the performance of a 
you know, a digester or a black tank product. And so I just decided that I was going to figure out, you know, what are the top black tank treatments and let's figure out a, a simulation human waste. And I decided to use dog food and how do they perform throughout the week of digesting the waste and then adding more waste in the meantime, something like that was just, I was curious myself. I've now gotten to the point of, Hey, that would make a great video because if I've got that question, somebody else has got that question. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, if I can help someone make a decision, then it was worth my time because one, I'm, I'm doing it for myself. I want to know Mm -hmm. like, which one do I want to use? And then if I just have to turn on a camera and, and be able to present that in a concise manner to be able to share that information, all the better. Well, you helped us. So thank you for that. Because we have been struggling with like, is this actually doing anything? Or is it is it supposed to just make it smell nicer? Like, what's the whole purpose here? Is it actually? Do- and I can't tell you how many times there have been black tank issues with just stuff, right? Eh, whatever. We don't need to go into detail there. But it's that's something that just like makes a bad day <laughs> when you're dealing with black tank stuff. So it's helpful. I appreciate it. It'll be forever going. Like there's certain things in the RV space that will always be a debate. We will never get to a conclusion. Black tank treatments are one of those because some people are very much in the camp of it's just a temporary holding tank and you don't need to treat it at all because you're going to be dumping it. I am definitely in the treat it because we won't go down that. But just know, like if you've never been into an RV forum, people get vehemently heated in conversations about black tanks and black tank treatments and the health of your black tank. And like, it's absolutely insane. It's kind of like becoming a parent, you know, like you never thought you'd talk so much like poop about poop. (laughs) It's same with RVing. Hey, have you guys had this problem with your black tank or no, have you ever had a clogged black tank in this manner? As I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing it's very much like becoming a parent. Like the the amount of feces talk that you have as an RV or at the campground is not something you thought that you would ever be talking about. Things I never thought I'd needed to know. Yeah. I want to give you a second just to talk about your channel and some of the forums that you have led and are leading. So Joshua, talk a little bit about your channel, RV Gear and Far, and what someone can expect. And then I want to talk a little bit more after that, if someone's really interested in becoming sure. an RVer. How they and I think it. you probably were intending on cutting it out, but the near and far that you misspoke just a moment ago of RV near and far was kind of the play on words that I was going for with the channel name. RV Gear and Far is the, the YouTube channel and the brand name. You can find it on all the social media stuff, but it was kind of a mix of being able to focus on you know, going down gear reviews, how-tos, and RV tips of what the curiosities I have and answering those questions and then being able to present those in a manner that is hopefully helpful to others and answering their questions, but then playing into the gear and far, near and far of being able to travel and and using RVs as adventure-based vehicle travel is the goal. And knowing that there is some gear that will make your experience better and uh, trying to figure out what those would be, you know, instead of having people just randomly choose something off of Amazon, I went and bought a few different things and compared and contrast them. And sometimes I give an opinion, like I would choose this one over that one. And other times it's a, hey, I've got both of these and look here, here, and here. These are the differences between them and why, you know, for this rig, I would choose this one. And for another rig, I might choose the other brand. And so I guess, yeah, it's curiosity. It's all the things that I'm curious about in making my adventures easier, more efficient, and then being able to present those in a way that is a concise answer to a question. 
it's fun. I enjoy it. And I enjoy it so much that I decided to create a mastermind for RV content creators mm -hmm. that is going on three years old, four years old, maybe. And so that's, that's another part of it too. Is like, I've been able to turn this, this curiosity and this passion into something that's more than just me. Because as much as I'm curious about which levelers I should use for my RV, I'm also curious about like, well, what's the best way to present this information? Like, is there's cameras that I should use or is sharing this information in this manner better for people who prefer Instagram versus people who prefer YouTube? Having a, a space to be able to go talk about that stuff that was RV related, but didn't necessarily fit into like the gadgets and gizmos RV group on Facebook. So yeah, it's been it's been really cool. And it, to kind of draw a full circle for the audience is that like that group led me to meet Heath Paget, and Heath Paget ended up me leading to being a host on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, which is then how I met you and how we connected. And so like bringing people together and creating community in one aspect or another is amazing. How mm -hmm. you walk down the hallway and the doors just start popping up that seemed to be a closed walkway. And then as soon as you start putting yourself in situations, the doors start popping up. Yeah. I have likened it to the motto I'm using this week with how um, a lot of people have been asking me, you know, about gap your life and is it what you expected? And I was like, the question I think back to you would be, what if it's better than you ever expected? Because I think that has been both mm. in the content creation space and in the RV space. There's so many things you can't predict or you can't plan for. And maybe my interpretation of what that was, was the ceiling is actually the floor, not the ceiling, right? Like there's so many things I'm seeing just in life in general. And so I love that that's where you chose to end because I think you don't have to go at it alone. There's enough people out here such as yourself that can help make this journey much easier. You can kind of jump the line and not have to do it all DIY because you've helped us do mm -hmm. some of those things. And if you're interested in telling your story along the way, there's a content creator yeah. group, right? So it's it's really interesting how things have evolved along the journey and what I was worried about maybe two to three years ago have really not been things I needed to worry about because <laughs> it's better than mm -hmm. what I ever expected. Yeah. Oftentimes we get to the, well, what if I fail? The simple perspective shift is that what if I succeed, but it's not easy to do. It's, it's not easy to mentally prepare mm -hmm. yourself for like, okay, well, what right. if I do succeed? Like, what if my wildest dreams come true? And like, that's the, uh, the way we should be seeing things. It's hard to make that shift. And then also yeah. I think sometimes the next step would be answering that question. Like what does, what is your big, hairy, audacious goal and what happens if you achieve it? Right? Like I don't have a, I mean, I'm starting to think about, but I don't have an, a plan of like, if those goals come true, yeah. well, I'm setting myself up for failure if I don't. So instead of thinking about like all the ways I can fail, it's, it's more worth my time to start figuring out like, what if they do succeed? Because even if I achieve 50% of that, well, I'm I'm a hundred percent farther than I was at the failure mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I love being around people like you as well. And I would love for my listeners to know how to find you and where they could follow you and find out more content if they're interested. So can you give us a quick synopsis, your YouTube channel and Facebook? We'll put all the links in the show notes just to reference, but can you say them aloud real quick? Yeah, rvgearandfar.com um, is the website, which will give you links to all the social media stuff, but you can find it on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. 
Fantastic. And then I'll also put links to the Facebook group that you mentioned earlier too for RV content creators. You have a couple of them, so I'll, I'll make sure. Do you want to reference them real quick or do you want me to just put them in the show notes? Uh, RV content creators is the, we'll just put a link in because that's the only one that's really active at the moment. So, Perfect. Fantastic. We did not get even to like where you are in your RV journey today, but I would love to keep in touch and I would love my audience to follow you so they can follow where you're going with your with your RV journey and where you're landing and what the next steps are for you. So uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Joshua. It's been fantastic. As always, love connecting with you. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you, Heidi. I appreciate it. Thank you, Joshua. Again, it's just so nice to build relationships with people ahead of you on the journey. And this episode, again, is is probably specific to RVing, but I will say it has been so helpful to have someone like Josh in my community. With that, I have 12 key takeaways from this episode. Number one, full-time RVing for Josh and his family was the means to an experience in finding the place to put down roots and determine a destination to call home. Number two, leverage what you already have. In the grand scheme of RVing, Josh describes pop-up campers as the gateway into RV life. When they started, their minivan could tow the pop-up camper. The minimum requirements were a real bed to sleep in and air conditioning. It was through the pop-up experiment they figured out what worked and what didn't work for them. Number three, there is a spectrum of what RVing can mean. In the end, RVing is a means to an experience. Whether you choose more off the beaten path or something that never sees six feet off the pavement, think of it more as an empty void that you can design what it means for you. For Heidi and her family, that meant framing their RV as a vacation home on wheels, which helped them think more broadly about using an RV to help create a unique travel experience that would be hard to recreate in other ways while still having the comforts of home. Number four, if people are interested in getting started with RVing, some questions Josh and I discuss might be, where do you want to go? Why RVing? How many people are traveling with you would determine what type of RV setup works best for the number of people. How far do you want to go? Sometimes for long road trips in a compressed amount of time, having an easy setup and teardown at each campsite is ideal. How much do you want to spend? What vehicles do you currently own? Much like the Sherpa philosophy of meeting people ahead of you, such as at campgrounds or online, and the RV Content Creators Group is one example. Many were able to offer perspectives on what their setup is and what works for them, which is helpful. Number five, asking questions from existing RVers will help you get their opinions, their experiences, and their preferences. Having the ability to filter their feedback through your preferences, experiences, and opinions will be important. Number six, there are so many things to learn about with an RV as a mode of transportation that even though it's not difficult, it can become overwhelming. If you choose to rent, Josh suggests building in time to familiarize yourself with the ramp up and the ramp down for learning, packing, and unpacking time. Number seven, not everything from sticks and bricks living translates into RVing. For example, cooking and baking, having realistic expectations of what you are trying to accomplish, and then what equipment can help you accomplish the tasks that are important to you. The best predictor of what you need in the future is testing out what you already have, use it, and determine how important it's going to be going forward. Number eight, there will be items that have multiple purposes, and there's items that have a single focus but do that task really well and may warrant the space. Given the space and weight limitations of RV living that comes along with towing and payload are things that any RVer needs to be mindful of when determining what is nice and what is necessary. Number nine, truck and salespeople might tell you what Josh calls half-truths. Yes, maybe your F-150 could potentially tow your rig if you put nothing else in it. 
There is a big difference between towing a flatbed full of cinder blocks and towing a 25-foot-long, 10-foot-tall RV, which acts like a sail in the wind. As a beginner RV camper, Josh's advice is to educate yourself about the difference between towing capacity, payload, and knowing your weight when you're fully loaded. Number 10, just because you can doesn't mean you should. What a life lesson to keep in mind. Regardless of the context, this mantra has been so helpful for our family in setting boundaries across all sectors of life. Number 11, lessons from RVing and parenting have many parallels. As Josh alluded to, the amount of talk around the campfire related to poo was something we never expected, and black tanks will forever be a topic of debate in the RV industry. Number 12, bringing people together and creating community in one aspect or another, it's amazing to see how opportunities open. The question I will leave you with is what if it's better than you ever expected? The perspective shift might mean instead of what if I fail is to flip that to say, what if I succeed? I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you have technical questions, downloading the RV inspection checklist could be a good resource for you. Otherwise, check out Josh's channel, RV Gear and Far. His website and YouTube channel and social media channels and such are in the show notes, along with the mastermind group he referenced in the episode, RV Content Creators. I hope you enjoy this episode. And until next week, keep on adventuring. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.